Well, I'm going to read scripture this morning, and it's Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Superscription says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. 20 years ago, the single worst event in the history of our city occurred. Uh, it is the terrorist um, event with the highest death toll in history. And we're remembering it in our city in a period where we're in another crisis. Um, it's of a somewhat different nature, although there are certain similarities between uh, what's happening with COVID and what happened 20 years ago, an inordinately high death toll, a great fear and anxiety, uh, just discouragement and confusion. There are certainly similar themes, but the events by their nature were different. One instantaneous, one terrible day with long-lasting effects, and another a year and a half now of, of an ongoing struggle. And uh, the impact of each of these events takes different shape, even though we could say the roots are about suffering and death and all of the things that we don't like. But um, but different things happened as a result. For example, after 9-11, it was pretty typical to hear people in the city say, you know, I lived elsewhere and I never thought I'd live in a place like New York. But something happened in, in those months and in the years afterwards that all of a sudden 
something about New York became different, and, and so I, I chose to move here and to be part of this great city. And during COVID, there's been lots of people who said, I never imagined that I would move out of New York. Um, but I just finally realized <laughs> there's nothing here that's keeping me satisfied. And so, so one event brought people in. One event is just causing a withering where people are leaving. You know, one event was filled with such fear that, that in the weeks after 9-11, if you were in New York, um, the thought was, well, well this was a, a planned effort. What's next? And so there was fear. We don't want to go out. What, what if I go to the theater and that's the next target? And so the leadership, the politicians were saying, don't allow your fear to keep you back, but, but we need you to go out and live a life in the city. And now we're living through a pandemic where only those who are closest to it, the medical professionals, people with family members, uh, so many have said it doesn't feel like a big deal. And so our leaders have had to say, you can't go anywhere, don't go out. It feels very different. But the kinds of stories that come out of it, therefore, are different because of the, the tone of things. A typical story 20 years ago was, you know, my partner and I, we were dating for 10 years. We moved in about four years ago, but, you know, we worked so many hours and we're so engaged socially that getting married just, we just never got to it. And then all of a sudden, these terrible events alerted us to what really matters in life. And we realized we were spending our time doing the wrong things. And so we've gotten married, and we have new priorities, and it's this, this new lease on life. And the story of COVID is, my spouse and I were married for 10 years, and we really spent a lot of time with our work and with our interests and in the city. And once we were forced to stay together every day, 365 days, I realized my spouse is really hard to live with. I don't know that I could keep doing this. And so one event was so terrible, uh, but the energy galvanized. The other event is, is terrible in a way that you don't want to compare, but, but is wearing us down. And so we could think of them as very different, but, but the ways that they affect us, because they're, they're big and terrible, and, and if if there's one thing I'll highlight that these events have in common, is that both of them are bigger than, than what we can handle. We, we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to have a process it. We don't know how to make sense of it. And they're so big and terrible that they shake us. So, so the things that we can ordinary control or where we have confidence, those things are shaken so, such that we're left with confusion. And some are better than managing it than others. Uh, but 20 years later, there are still people um, who are left utterly confused and shaken in a year and a half into this pandemic. Some of us are wondering, will we ever experience whatever we thought normal was? And so we need help. Um, as people of faith, Christians believe we always need help. Every breath comes from the gift of God, but we say that and we don't always feel it. And occasionally things happen that are so big that they wake us up to, the to our vulnerability. And so needing help in our pride, in a city like New York, we don't want to admit that. We're here to become those who help others. And yet there's something to be said when you look out at the history of the world, that human beings are vulnerable. We need help. When we gather as a church, there's a lot that we're doing. There's a lot that we're talking about as we look at Jesus, who he was and what he taught. Um, but it's so easy to lock onto peripherals or to think that that the Christian faith is something small or domesticated, but, but the Bible proclaims that human beings have such desperate need that if you have eyes to see it, God will come and will be a help in your life like 
you couldn't imagine. And therefore, the practices of faith, the things that we do are, are not the rules that we keep or it's not part of a better philosophy of how to live, but it's meant to be part of a dynamic life where we're alerted to the fact that we are far less in control than we think and there's far less than we understand and can fathom, um, that there's a certain helplessness in every human being. Uh, the Bible offers an opportunity for us to be helped in a way that actually strengthens us, a way that sustains us, a way that helps us to heal, that helps us to be a force for good where others are giving up. And we're looking today at Psalm 46 because Psalm 46 gives us precisely that kind of vision. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. That's what we read uh, in the opening of this psalm. The word help there is what we're going to consider. And we're going to think about why we need help, where we get help, and then how we access help. So we're going to begin with why we need help. Like I said, we, we depend on God who alone gives and sustains life. It's so easy to take that for granted. You don't need to believe in God. You don't need to live a good life. And yet, as Jesus says, God causes the sun to rise and the righteous and the unrighteous, the, the rain to fall. Uh, you don't have to believe in God's existence to benefit from God's creation, God's care. But without really having a foundation, we are not equipped to live in this world. Sometimes things are so big and terrible. Now, sometimes they happen individually. In, in particular lives, things happen, the kinds of things we fear, that we dread, that should never happen. Today, I'm highlighting sort of the collective experiences that COVID has been something that's affected us all. We respond differently, but it's affected us all. 9-11, those of you who are freshmen, sophomore, uh, unless you did the military or something after high school or worked, you weren't alive. It may not have the same emotional grip on you, but, but you're part of a world that's affected by it. Uh, right now, there are, are people your age in the military um, still fighting wars because of that. So, so we're all affected by these collective events. Um, and it's not simply that God is a help, but, but that help that is present helps us. My father worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange downtown on Wall Street. Uh, and they have TV screens, and so on 9-11, when the first plane hit, uh, everyone working uh, on the floor of the exchange was aware of it. What could possibly have happened? The second plane hit. This can't be a coincidence. The Pentagon gets hit. Now there's an awareness, there, there's an attack, and it's, it's coming in multiple ways. And they seem to be hitting uh, key institutions. And there are thousands of people on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And when the first tower falls, because it's only blocks away, the earth rumbles. And my father said, we thought a bomb went off under the ground. Uh, they all thought that they had seen their last day. And they hadn't. My father walked home to Brooklyn with debris in his hair, uh, and he lived. But what does that experience do when the ground shakes? The ground, uh, we know enough about science to know that, that the earth is in motion, but the earth is so big and so solid that we feel secure. And what happens when the earth is shaken? Um, what does that mean about what we assume? Because it's not simply the earth, but the other things we hold on to security. We think we will have our health physical and mental, forever. We think our loved ones will be with us. And yet there is something to the reality that 
our wives experience a shaking where one response is fear. It's the most natural response. Fear is a good thing biologically. Sometimes we need that adrenaline, that cortisol to to ready us to make a quick decision to give us an extra boost of strength, but we're not to live in a state of fear for a year and a half. That is not good. And so in verse 2 it says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. There's a picture here of a shaking where mountains wind up being launched into the seas, the, the kinds of things that are unfathomable of what we know of creation. And the statement to say that though those things could happen, we will not fear is the kind of thing when you read it, you, you think, or I think, I'm not up to being a member of this community. I get, I get nervous about minor things. Who are these people that will not fear? They're not superhuman. They're not people who don't tremble and shake when the earth trembles and shakes. They are people who have a confidence in something more firm than our health, our relationships, and the very ground on which we stand. And so what is it? It's a God-centered vision. It's a God-centered vision that says the reason we will not fear is because God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It's our theology. It's not a confidence in ourselves or in our world or in uh, the, the created order. It's a confidence that comes from something, someone who cannot be shaken and who has power over all. And that confidence helps us practically. And that's the thing is, um, we can't help how we feel, if we feel anxious, if we feel fearful. Um, but, but how are we responding? What choices are we making? What are we doing with it? And, and the natural responses, you know, the, the two typical responses that, that characterize what happens when we confront danger or difficulty are fight and flight. These days, there's a little bit more talk about a third response, which is to freeze. Um, each of us are wired a bit differently. We might, we might be inclined towards one of those, and so something scary happens, something terrible happens, and all of that energy you take and you bundle it up into, into something like anger, where anger could be a, a just and upright response to something terrible, um, but there's something energizing about it that moves you to action. And so the, the fight response is a way of, of dealing with being terrified. If you're threatened, if you come aggressively, hopefully they'll go away. And some of us have learned that, and so that's how we're oriented to the world. The flight response is, 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 is less of that gathered, focused energy and more where it's everything because you have that energy all over the place to, to have you just get away from it as much as you can to keep moving. And that, again, could be an appropriate response. Sometimes you just need to get out of the way of danger. The freeze response is where, where you're just sort of completely frozen, feel stuck, numb, maybe detached. And each of us uh, can experience all of those responses, depending on the particular circumstance or how we're doing that day or what the other factors are. But most of us lean towards one of those. And so it's worth saying or reflecting this year, how, how is COVID affecting you? Because look, we need to be practical. We need to think, what is the most we can make of it? If we can't gather in person, what technologies can help us gather online? Um, if we can't keep certain rhythms, how do we make them happen? And, and that's really the best thing to do. How do we make the best of it? But while we're making the best of it, what's happening to your soul? What's happening within your mind? 
Uh, some of you are very in tune with it, but, but most of us aren't aware that, that this COVID thing is big enough. It's something we can't fix easily. It's something that we can't agree on how to deal with it. That's affecting us. And, and so, so what are you seeing uh, in you this last year? So, so the fight response. There's been a lot going on in the world that stirs anger. And so if this has been a year of your harnessing, harnessing that anger, that's good. That's the appropriate response. But it's one thing to go out and stand with a hurting community with courage. It's another thing to not just be angry about injustice, but to be angry about everything. That everything in your life becomes an injustice. The person that just doesn't greet you as you want to be greeted. And so are you, is, has, has the COVID period eroded your patience? Are you now just difficult to be around because one of the ways, one of the actions is to control. Can people be themselves around you? <laughs> or are you so impatient that now people are feeling like they're walking on eggshells? That's something that could be happening because it's been a long time and we're getting tired. and Our niceness is being worn down. Maybe for some of you it's the flight response where, where there's a nonstop anxious energy in you and how do we deal with that? You know, sometimes perfectionism is not simply the habits that we've picked up on, but it's a way of managing our anxiety. If there is more wrong than I can deal with, well, let me run around and try to fix everything and make sure it's in place. And so perfectionism could lead to a lot of success. There's a lot of good outcomes with it. But if you're spending a long time not realizing that, that you're desperately needing to fix things because there's an anxious energy in you, then that energy is planting the kinds of uh, devastating seeds in your life that will lead to a young heart attack or those sorts of things. We need to be aware with what's happening. What about the freeze response? Some of you know it's just getting harder and harder each day to get out of bed. You know, this year, uh, this week, New York City public school students are returning to school. Um, being in person is so much better than Zoom or Google uh, Meet or whatever people are meeting on. But when your school begins at 820, it's nice to get up at 8.18. And so now there's an awareness. Yeah, I was supposed to be up at 8.20, but I was really getting up at 8.45. Now tomorrow, can I get up at 6.30? I just want to. That's normal. That's understandable. But there's something now that you don't just want to get up for school, but you don't want to get up to make yourself breakfast. And, and some of us are stuck in the freeze response where we're just dealing with it by detaching from it. We can't take it all in. We need help. And so I'm highlighting that because all of us, some of us are, are doing well and thriving, but we're being affected. Some of us are really aware we need help. God gives us help. And that's why it's important to remember that the Christian faith is not just about a system of rules. It's not about creating a culture that's better than other people. But it's about the presence of a living God who is powerful but kind. And he comes and he helps people. And therefore, we need to cultivate the kind of life of faith where when we face these periods, we are strengthened, sustained. And so why do we need help? <laughs> because we're human and our world is complicated and at times terrible. Where do we get the help? That's the second thing I want to look at. Theologically, one of the things that the Bible talks about that's a value, that we don't appreciate the value because we serve an invisible God who we, who we connect with by faith rather than with by sight. And so faith is not easy for us. It's not, it's not the way we're used to relating. 
what is it about God that helps? Not just that he's there, not just that he's kind, but it's when God is present. And that's what verse 1 says, that God is not just a refuge and a strength, but he's a very present help. It's when God is with us, and we're aware of that, that we can be strengthened. We don't lose hope. Everything is not stripped from us. And so in verse 7 and verse 11, the refrain of the psalm is the Lord of hosts is with us. That's the confidence of these people. The last two weeks, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 84. Um, How lovely is the dwelling place of the Lord Almighty. Um, How I long to be in his courts. And you could easily think that that psalm and this psalm, talking about this great city, the kinds of things where we do and we look around what human beings can do and say, look at this great temple. What, what people are like our people? Look at this great city on a hill. Uh, who is like us that we have this? But you read the Psalms and they're saying, yeah, all of these things are wonderful and to be celebrated. But it's not that our buildings are more beautiful or that our walls are firmer or that our army is stronger. But is that God is in the midst of all of this. That makes us different. That is the hope that God is present. And so... That presence of God, that's a genuine strength. Uh, We we read verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That's what it is, God in the midst of her. And there are these streams that, uh, or this river, which historians look at and they say, you know, unless there's been a radical climate change in that area, There's no great river in Jerusalem like there is in Shanghai or in Paris or a lot of the major cities. But if you read the book of Isaiah, prophecy, right? Here's what God is showing. But there's this historical section, the middle of it, uh, roughly middle, verses 30, uh, chapters 37 uh, to 39, 36 or 37 to 39, where Hezekiah, the king, not all of the kings uh, recorded in scripture are good. Most of them are not. Hezekiah was good. And the Assyrians are coming to attack the city. uh, And they've conquered the northern tribes and they're conquering the surrounding nations. So Hezekiah goes to the Gihon, a spring nearby, and he reroutes it uh, and sends it to Jerusalem. And there's a tunnel now that you can go through in Jerusalem underground that uh, was typically thought to have been developed by him. And so water is coming into the city. Why does that seem important? You know, there are these instantaneous attacks like happened at 9-11, modern warfare. We have nuclear weaponry. You know, within seconds, the amount of devastation we can do. We forget that ancient warfare, uh, cities were willing to siege. You know, they just spend every day building up uh, the, the possibility of, of attacking a city, making it so they can't open the gates and they can't trade. And what happens when you don't have um, Uber Eats and you don't have a drone from Amazon to drop something in? Well, what happens is you, you slowly faint and you starve because cities are not good for, for holding sufficient cattle and farming for long periods of time. If we can't go outside of the walls, if we don't have water, we become so weak that by the time they come in, they just destroy us. And so there is Hezekiah bringing these, reem, these rivers, these, stri- these streams into Jerusalem so that God's people could be strengthened while they wait. And if you read Isaiah, uh, the Assyrian king sends uh, an official to say, don't be foolish like everyone else. There, there's no stopping us. We've, we're destroying everyone to so just surrender. 
And Hezekiah gets from the Lord to trust him and to wait. And God sustains them with water. And then one day we read, somehow there's this outbreak of death in the Assyrian camp. And they get up and leave. Uh, the, the people of Israel didn't have to fight. They couldn't. What is it that happened? Well, these people would say, God was in our midst. There are streams that make glad the city of God because God is in the midst of her. But most Bible commentators say, yeah, there's, that's probably the most likely explanation about these streams coming through, but there is no river in Jerusalem like we get in the Garden of Eden where God plants these rivers that flow in water with life. But there is a city, there is a Jerusalem in the Bible where there are these rivers. But you don't see it until there's a vision about what is to come in the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, where there's a new Jerusalem. And in that new Jerusalem, there are these rivers, there are waters, there is healing. And Ezekiel, the prophet, talks about one day a temple would be built and, and the rivers that undergird that city is part of a vision that he had that was never realized in Jerusalem. And, and so what Christians are told is that God is building this new temple. He is preparing a city. It's not meant by, it's not built by human hands. It's architect, it's not somebody in our midst. But God, the creator, is the designer. And those who, who are citizens of that city and have God in their midst are in a fortress. They will not be shaken, though the earth gives way. And it's that strength that we have access to you know, Isaiah, who records that for us, tells us about a servant of God's who will come, and he says his name will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel in Hebrew means God with us, and that's one of the reasons our church is called Emmanuel. What do we have to offer to the city? <laughs> Nothing in ourselves. But if God is with us, we have strength, we have blessing, we have life. Um, one day, a servant will come, and God will be with him, not just in some protective way, but, but the very Son of God himself would come. And Isaiah's vision unfolds, talking about that one who God is with will be a suffering servant. And he will come among the hurting, and he will establish peace. And there's something that lines up with the imagery of Psalm 46 about somebody that God would send. And so when you read the story of Jesus, who comes fulfilling all of these great things of the Scriptures, we find that he also is the one who comes um, with the very power of God in him. But he comes as one who suffers in this world. It makes Christianity offer something quite valuable anytime our vulnerability is exposed. That we have a God who comes in to our suffering. And when Jesus is rejected, as many of us are rejected, when Jesus is hated, when Jesus is falsely accused, when Jesus is unjustly treated, as so often happens every day in our world, he is crucified and we're told that darkness comes upon him and the earth shakes such that uh, bodies and tombs are shaken out of them. There's a picture of a shaking that happened in that moment, but what we're told is Jesus goes into the darkness. Jesus alone is above the earth while everyone else is standing on it, feeling the shaking. And his onlookers, his disciples, understood later as he explained to them, I went there so you won't have to. That's the nature of the God that we serve, a God that doesn't from the outside look with apathy on the suffering or is not some imagined magician who will snap his fingers and make it go away, but a God who comes to the suffering and himself bears what we cannot bear so that he could be with us in whatever we're bearing that we feel that we can't go on with. 
the good news of the gospel is that God is powerful, but he's not just powerful, he is good and he is present in a way that we could not have invented if we were trying to come up with our own religion. And so there's something hard to fathom but utterly unique to say that Christianity presents the most powerful God in the history of the world, created the heavens and the earth with the sound of his voice, that authority. We should tremble, we should fear at that power, except that God has drawn near, that God has come into our midst, that God invites us uh, to take refuge in him, to receive pardon and forgiveness, to, to remember that Jesus suffered the penalty of all of our wrongdoings. And he suffered it on our behalf so that we would be free of our shame, free of our guilt, uh, free to live a new life. And that life is a life of strength in the midst of a weak world. We are weak people. But you see these contrasts here that in verse 2 of the psalm, the mountains are being moved, but in verse 5, there's a city that will not be moved. And in verse 3, the waters, the sea is roaring, but in verse 4, the waters, the river, makes glad. And in verse 2, the earth gives way. It's not going to be there for you. It's not going to help you. But in verse 1, God is present. He will help you. And there's a sense in which there's a contrast set for us. The things that we see and feel are not as firm as we think. But God, who we don't see, is a fortress. And he invites us, come, stand on what is firm, and I will be with you. Life will not be easy. It won't be magical. But you will be sustained, and you will withstand. And one day, you will drink of that water, of the stream that makes glad the city. And is that hope that helps us to keep going? And so, as you're managing your anger and your frustration, as you're dealing with your workaholism, that you think it's because you're driven by success, but maybe you're really anxious. As you're frozen and detached and, and, and you don't feel anything. Uh, maybe it's painful to hear that God is with us and you say, I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't feel the connection to people. This isn't first and foremost about how we feel. It's about the reality of what, who God is and what he has shown us. We're told that when we come into God's presence as a healer, he starts to, to calm our nerves and to make us righteous so that our anger, we're not dangerous people. And he raises the dead so that those who are emotionally numb because we can't handle what's going on, God, God says, I will, I will lift you up and I will restore you. And so there's a work that God does that is only his work that we're invited into. So where does our help come from? Well, when I lift my eyes to the hills and I wonder where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where we get strength. So the question is, how do we access it? Um, you know, as a gathering of the church, some of you, this may be new for you, and you're thinking, I, I don't know what this means. Maybe it's attractive, but you don't know what to do with it. Um, most of us would have trouble admitting, you know, even if you grew up in the church, even if you've studied theology, that these things you know are true, but in the face of these great things, how do you access it? <laughs> I know that I don't need to fear, but here I am with my cowardly nature. Um, how do we access it? And it's not easy, but over time, the disciplines of grace help us. They help us ground ourselves in God so that his strength is at work in us. And therefore, we're often surprised that we go out with fear and trembling and God does things. And people say, wow, that was so great. And in your heart, you know, I didn't do anything. That was the kindness of the Lord who did that. It's that story that gives us confidence that then says, 
the practices of the Christian life, it's not just a, another religion, it's not just a new morality, it's not just a philosophy, but, but there's, there's a life that we're called to live and engage with. And so, how do we access it? Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. You know, when, when families go out together, um, when your kids are very young, if there's going to be some distance, they're going to go play on something or you're in a theme park or something like that, you always need a plan for what happens if the kids get lost. And I realize I'm a bit old here. Now, you just tell the four-year-old to text me. But some of us did not have the technology in them, so you needed a, uh, with them, you needed a better plan when you were younger. And so typically, what you don't want to do is keep running around looking for each other. Because if the, kids are, if the lost kid is in motion, if the, if the parents are in motion, you may be covering the same territory, but at separate times. That one strategy is to tell a kid, if you get lost, you know, get to a place that we were and stay there, and then I'll just retrace our steps. You know, we want to encourage you to run to God. That's what we do. But it's in those time periods where you find yourself saying, uh, I'm running around and I can't find him and I'm feeling less confident and I'm more anxious. Um, this call to be still says, don't worry, you will never find God if it's up to you and your insight, your ability. But stay where you are and God will find you. That's the Christian message. God sends Jesus into the world to seek, to save, to bring people in, to heal, bless. And so one of the disciplines we need is the ability to just stop and to be aware that God's presence and power um, is something that we need more than, than we overlook because we think what I need is to address this next urgent thing. But after a year and a half, how much energy do you have for six more months of these urgent things? So we need to be a people that quiet ourselves. And so in, in Psalm 46, when it says, be still, it's not simply saying, have a nice prayer time. It's in the midst of this world in turmoil. It's almost as if God is saying, stop be silent. Uh, stop running around and, and seeking revenge and killing one another and, and thinking you can anxiously fix things. But, but you'll look at what's going on. This world is a world of turmoil. Be still and know that I am God. There's something uh, on a global sense that, that for whatever reason, and I'm not going to try to explain today why these terrible things happen, but one of the outcomes is meant to be the kind of sobering where we, we see our vulnerability and we look up for something greater than our current troubles. And there's only one thing that can satisfy the criteria of being greater than anything that we've seen. That's God, which is why we need to see him and be present with him. And there's a story some of you would be familiar with if, you, if you're Bible readers. You could read it in Mark 4, where Jesus is with his disciples in a boat, and nature does its thing, and there's wind, and there's a storm, and they're terrified. And they see Jesus resting, and rather than saying, isn't this so wonderful that we have a guru, a teacher, what principles has he given us so we could find rest? Or how do we follow his pattern? They get angry. The fight response comes up, and so they say, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? That's the response. Why are you not helping us? And Jesus loudly says, peace, be still. And I still to this day wonder, who is he talking to? Because the winds and the sea listened. But I wonder if he was talking to the disciples and the, the wind overheard it. I don't know. I'm not trying to make a theological point there. I'm saying that when he said, peace, be still, everyone quieted themselves. 
And then a different question came up. And it was also a question of fear, but it was a different kind of fear and a different kind of question. Their first question is, don't you care that we are perishing? And their second question is, who is this that even the wind and the sea obeys him? Um, there's no getting around fear. It's in our wiring. It's in the nature of the world. There's a kind of fear that wears us down and destroys us and kills us. It's, there's a kind of fear that makes us terrible human beings. There's a kind of fear that gives life. And that's what we're told, is right now you see the big powers at work, and you desire that power until it exposes its corruption, and then you're terrified. But there is a power that is greater, the power of God who made the heavens and the earth, the one who invites us to be a refuge. And it's when the fear becomes less of the dread of dying and more of the marveling of who is this in our midst that then we start to change. And that's why a discipline like prayer is important. When we pray, look, sometimes we're not feeling it. Sometimes it's really the discipline. I know it's important, so I'm going to sit down and I'm going I'm to name my requests and I'm going to commit my life and my way to God. And, and sometimes we just have to do that. But there's something to devoting regular time to being still, to sitting down and dealing with what's happening in you with God. Um, and therefore, for you need to make it the kind of priority that maybe every day you can't spend an hour, but, but you can't let a month or two months go by where you haven't sat quietly and said, Lord, what's going on in my heart and mind? Not just forgive me for my anger, but where's this anger coming from? And can your peace come into my life? You know, this last year, I have spent more hours sitting in prayer than ever, I think. I don't keep a log of it, but, but I look back, and in terms of my habits, I think I've spent more time sitting in prayer. I say sitting in prayer because I don't know that I've spent more time praying. The reason I'm spending more time sitting is because when I'm sitting down, I start with whatever I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. Oh, Lord, you're wonderful. How good are you? And then I'm thinking, oh, yeah, today do I have lunch with that person? Nope, nope. Lord, uh, help me and forgive me. Oh, yeah, the, there's this weekend sale that's expiring. No, don't open the computer now. That's been my prayer life. And I think it's that, perhaps, that, that anxious flight response of, of, of these things that I still don't understand, I still can't deal with. So prayer is meant to be my help, but I'm, I'm having trouble praying. And so I know that it's not easy to just go and pray. Um, but if we really believe that God being with us is what's going to change our fear from dread to something enlivening and exciting. We need to, to be in the presence of God. And so, so what I tried to do by, by um, removing one anxious thought that only got replaced by the next thought, um, what I've been trying to do is, is to do what Psalm 46 invites us to, where before he says to be still, in verse 8 he says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. And I'm offering this to you today not as a quick fix, but... But how do you enter into a point where you're aware that you're in God's presence? Well, sometimes it begins by, by not simply forgetting the work that we need to do, but by remembering the work of God. And here are three categories of the kinds of works you can access as we group God's work theologically, his works of creation, his works of redemption, and his works of providence. And some of you will resonate more with any one of those than others, and that could be a starting place. You know, the work of creation. People who have no faith and are not seeking faith will often um, go out and walk in nature. You know, when nature turns against us, as it did a week and a half ago or however long ago it was, when, when more rain fell in our city than ever recorded, 
There's something terrifying about nature because it's not safe, it's not containable. But when the world is at peace, when you, when you walk and you see the, the beauty of the flowers and you hear the birds and the streams as the snow mounts from the mountains, uh, uh, melts from the mountains, there's something there that brings people to a place of peace. There's something bigger than me and my troubles. And we opened our service with Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. We're supposed to look at that bigness and say, but who, who does this belong to? How did this get here? And, and if nature is so big and so wonderful, potentially, that it, it takes us out of our small worries, it's that step further to say, well, when I think of the wisdom of how God has made things, the beauty of the human being, the, the loveliness of this dog, the orderliness when things work, there's something there that then allows us to say, Lord, who is like you? And that's a step out of worrying about what I need to perform today and into something that means if I perform today and fail, um, where the mountains will still be there so long as you're holding them there. And so it can help you enter into worship, God's works of redemption. Some of you can't enter the presence of God because you assume that God must be like everyone else whose presence you enter, which is he's looking at you and assessing, is this person somebody that I want here? And it's that, that narrative of shame that keeps you slowly walking into a room at a social event that plays itself out in your prayer life as well. Lord, I know all of these things, but there's something fearful. Maybe can I offer you a prayer request from a distance and take it and do something, but, but don't show up because you're going to hate me if you do. It's those works of redemption where we say, but, but God is a forgiving God that, that Jesus suffered so that we can be forgiven. So why can't we just admit our sin and, and ask for forgiveness? It's because we've been trained to think that we need to show up. And having had a perfectionist week, we've earned the right to be in God's presence. That's where our theology matters. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter how deep those roots are. You come and you remember the works of redemption. Lord, I'm here not because I belong, but because Jesus Christ invited me and he made it possible that I could come. And as we remember the mercy of God and that takes root, then thanking and praising God is, is a natural outwork. So remember God's work of redemption. And God's work of providence is his ongoing care in your life. Before you ask God to do something, remember, he's still active in the world. We may not understand how, we may not see it, but you remember what he did when the Hebrews cried out in slavery and he showed up, not as soon as they wanted to, but in a mighty and powerful way. We remember the confused and sorrowful disciples who met Jesus on the road and didn't even recognize him. And some of you can say, I remember that desperate prayer and God answered it and he was kind. We remember his providence, and so we, we come in God's presence. We behold his works, and that helps us to be still and to be quiet with the tasks of this week or this year or this miserable season. And it's something that in Psalm 23, when he leads us behind these still waters, that restores our souls. You know, the ministry of the Spirit is meant to be water to quench our thirst. And so there needs to be a spiritual liveliness in his people. Yeah, there's a lot for us to do in the world. Let's go out and do it with eagerness. But let's do it, having gone to God's presence, giving thanks and worshiping him, and then just being still and recognizing that if God is with us, it's okay if we're anxious, it's okay if we're nervous, it's okay if we're not feeling it. Uh, we could go back out into the world, and we can take God with us, and we can do the kinds of things Jesus tells us to do. And so, friends, as we gather as we are today, it's not just that you're supposed to go to church. It's because if we are people who assemble in the presence of God, 
God's teaching us. God's helping us. God's healing us. He's correcting us. He's preparing you for this week. We don't know what will happen. Let's hope great things will happen. But some of you have fears that this week the worst might happen. Don't not go out into the week. (laughs) Go into the week with God in your presence. We've assembled today to meet with God. Know that you can take God with you. So hold to the name of Christ and go. Whether you need to read a book you don't want to read, whether you need to call somebody you don't want to call, or whether there's something really courageous in store, God is a refuge and a strength. He's a present help. So call on him when you need the help, and by faith, act in a way that would bring him pleasure. Uh, And God will protect us. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, some of us may have trouble believing these things are true. Open our eyes by your Spirit to to take hold of what really will give us strength. Many of us know these things, but we just don't feel connected to them. We feel our fear or we feel our excitement for other things. Lord, your word is clear, and those of us who have lived long enough in the faith know we are weak. Um, But Lord, you are a God who gives strength to the weak. We're unworthy, but you're a God who clothes us and makes us worthy. We continue to make all of the mistakes we don't want to make, and you are a God who forgives and corrects and who sometimes does kind things despite what we've done. And so, Lord, we are a people who need help, so we pray for it. Help us today. We pray that whatever things are happening in our hearts and minds that we don't even know, that somehow your spirit would be at work to bring some of these things out, to, to provide an inner strengthening, to ready us so that we are equipped not simply to get through this week but to help others get through this week. We depend on you for that. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.